Howdy, Rob Lee here, and we're going to get back to the truth in this art, but I want to do a little exercise with you. As you know, the truth in this art is an audio experience, so I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this time and visualize with me. I'm thrilled to reintroduce you to Forged Eatery, a true gem that captures the essence of farm-to-table dining in Baltimore. At Foraged Eatery, they have mastered the art of sourcing local and seasonal ingredients, resulting in a menu that will leave you in awe. Their commitment to quality and to flavor is simply unmatched. Picture yourself, see it's the visual, picture yourself uh, savoring their mushroom stew, a comforting and aromatic dish that transports you to a world of culinary bliss. The depths of flavor and the carefully selected ingredients will tantalize your taste buds. You can swap out and insert the focaccia, which is heavenly, or the irresistible cornmeal fried happy oysters. Each bite is a celebration of culinary mastery. Forged Eatery goes beyond being simply a restaurant. It's an immersive experience where the menu evolves with the seasons. Each visit promises a new and exciting experience for your taste buds, making every moment unforgettable. So, fellow food fans, fellow food lovers, it's time to discover the magic of Forged Eatery. Let their innovative approach to dining and their passion for locally sourced ingredients transport you to a world of culinary excellence. Don't miss out on an extraordinary dining experience. Plan your visit to Forge Eatery today and let your taste buds revel in the true flavors of the season. It's time to indulge in a gastronomic adventure that will leave you craving for more. For more information, visit ForgedEatery.com. Welcome to the truth in this art. I, I like giving this sort of like very brief. Um, I'm your host, Rob Lee, and um, welcome my next guest, Michelle Gomez. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Rob, for inviting me. I feel truly honored that I get to be in the podcast, quote unquote, that is the rite of passage for MICA students. So if I'm a MICA alumni and I'm on this podcast, does that mean that I made it? Um, some people say that. I don't know if I will, because uh, I don't like gas with myself. I'm very, I'm very um, awkward in talking about myself. But um, yeah, a lot of people um, seem to get some joy. And I know that there's a, uh, a lot of MICA students and former MICA alums, all of that, that come on and uh, we chop it up. So it's uh, welcome. <laughs> awesome. Tell me, where did you go to school? I went to Morgan State University. Ah, Morgan State students are the bomb. We, we, you know, we, we're bears, you know, we're, we're out here. <laughs> so, um, and, and thank you. Like, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to connect and we're, we're here now. And, you know, I always like to point out for, um, for the listeners that for this, this audio medium that you're talking or listening to two bespectacled individuals. It's a lot of glasses on this screen currently. Um, so before I get into the main topics of, of our conversation here, I want to want to open it up a little bit and you know give you the space to introduce yourself and share your like an early experience with creativity and art like just something that comes to mind. Ooh. I'm multi-passionate, which makes it complicated when we have to introduce ourselves, right? So, my name is Michelle I Gomez. Um a lot of people know me now as 
a coach, a life and business coach for women artists. I've been coaching women artists for about four years after I started my own first business, arts business, after graduating from MICA because I couldn't get a job after school. Can you believe it? Of course you can. I <laughs> am <laughs> um, My other passions include making art, um, writing, poetry. Now it's a new thing of mine. Um, I like write, I, I plan on writing books soon. Um, I make all kinds of art about my mental health and like my psychology, um, to raise awareness about like the fragile psyche of artists, especially artists like me. Um, I'm also, uh, an art teacher. <laughs> I just came back from teaching at Interlochen Center for the Arts in Michigan for their summer camp. Um, and what else am I? I'm a music enthusiast. I love music. Um, I love traveling. I have a boyfriend who's also in, an artist and photographer, so we like to do things together a lot. Um, and recently in my coaching business, I'm I just realized like, hey, like if I were to niche down my audience even more, my ideal client would be women just like me. And I would call them neurodivergent, multi-passionate women artists that want to go from artist to entrepreneur without yeah. sacrificing their mental health in the process. Um, <laughs> to answer your second question, my earliest creative experience, I have so many because I've been an artist since I was like two years old. <laughs> but one memory that stands out is the first time I sold an artwork. <laughs> I think that that time sparked my interest in entrepreneurship and being <laughs> entrepreneurial. Like I, I was always entrepreneurial, but I didn't claim the entrepreneur identity until I started my first business which was a, an event planning company that I started in Baltimore. <laughs> See, full circle. <laughs> full circle. And funny, um, one of the, the weddings I did there um, got a lot of awards and like got a lot of attention and press. It was called Miami is Nice. And it was an exhibition that I co-curated with the team that a queer couple got married in. So I did that business for a while. Um, and then artists came to me and they were like, how did you do that? So then I became a life and business coach. Anyways, I'm going in a bunch of different mm -hmm. tangents. So let me go back to the original question. Um, my earliest creative uh, memory was I was like eight years old and I took private art classes on weekends yeah. at this academy called Priscilla and Tiffany Arts Academy. Shout out to Priscilla and Tiffany <laughs> for helping me start my art career so young. Um, and they helped me sell my first painting for twenty five dollars. <laughs> it's it's those it's funny. It's like it's those moments, right? Like I think back like and I've I've said this on this podcast a few times that I wanted to be a comic artist. That's what I was doing. That's what I was really into, right? And I remember um like I was one of those kids that I would hurry up, finish my test know that I could get a B because I was like, I guess, gifted or smart or what have you. I didn't, I don't, I didn't read anything. I was just like, yep, yep, yep. Moving on. I'm going to be drawing X-Men for the next 20 minutes. And I would get into trouble 
because it's like everyone else is in there, <laughs> you know, struggling, sweating, and I'm just like, la, 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 Wolverine. And <laughs> I remember the teacher came by, had this really dope, a lot of cross-hatching, a lot of all of this stuff going on. And she was like, no, you can't do that. And she threw my, my drawing away. So I, I remember I was working on this, this comic book. Um, it had multiple pages. I was coloring, lettering, all of that stuff, right? And she was coming by and I'm like, look, grab your hands. You're not taking my my thing. And she was like, no, 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 no. You you have some talent. And she she was like, let me protect this book, though. So she, you know, told all of the other teachers. She got my comic laminated and pressed and all of that stuff to protect it. And she was like, you know, you 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 have something here and we we have to cherish it. And which was a juxtaposition to what it was previously. It was not me disrupting the class. It was like, no, this guy is driving and passionate about something as a kid. Wow. You know, we got to thank those people in our youth that saw something in us and reminded us that like, this is worth pursuing. I mean, if it wasn't for my art teachers, I seriously would not be where I am today. Yeah. Um, in fact, in my teaching gig, um, <laughs> I was teaching at Interlochen where the director of visual arts there, she used to be my admissions counselor for Micah and she helped me get a full ride to Micah. And it, it just, it was such a full circle moment. Like she helped me in my career. Now I'm helping her back, you know? And um, I just think people like her and people like those teachers, like my high school teachers were so influential. And, and that's why I became an art teacher because I wanted to give back what I got in my career, which is affirmation, support, um, emotional intelligence coaching, like art skills, everything. I mean, mm. art education is so important in helping us to become the leaders that we are today and in helping us to be problem solvers of the world. Because everything that I do in my business and everything that I do as an artist has some sort of social impact. Like I know when I coach women artists that are also neurodivergent like me and they make money in their business and they make impact, like they're creating ripple effects, mm. you know, the same way that you create ripple effects through this podcast. Like I'm sure your episodes have inspired people to continue diving deeper into their art careers. Like art changes the world. Art makes the world go round and we need to really value ourselves in that capacity and make sure that we get paid as artpreneurs. Cause the yeah. reason why I became an, a life and business coach for women artists is because I noticed a lot of us were struggling after school. We didn't have much money. Yeah. I, I was in a, I was in a meeting last week with um, some recent grads, the grads from, from Micah who were literally describing, I can't find work. I'm going to have to leave here. And I, to your point about the ripple effect, right? You know, for folks that have to leave for sake of argument for more opportunities or it's just I can't afford to live here or whatever. It's just like, all right, if there were folks here being able to support what they're doing in that way and give them that game, if you will, or how to be an entrepreneur, how to be an art entrepreneur and specifically geared to these were women. I was the only guy in this group. And yeah. I'm like, this would be helpful. And you're strengthening the local economy and the local talent. But these folks may leave because those opportunities aren't readily available because of folks like you are now in Miami. Yes. And this is why I became a life and business coach as well, yeah. because a lot of the people I coach were actually MICA alumni. Yeah. 
And they came to me because they were lacking adulting skills. They were lacking emotional intelligence skills. They were lacking the basic skills needed to run a business. And I actually created this brand called the new MFA, which I don't promote as much anymore because I'm really going through a serious rebrand right now. But um, the new MFA is a directory of artist coaches, the world's best artist coaches that I trained a couple of years ago. And knowing that I did that and became a master coach for other artists so that they could coach too, makes me feel so good because I'm putting education out there. I'm spreading my knowledge. And then those coaches are spreading that knowledge to their clients. And we're all rising up together as a collective. Um, So stay tuned for that, Rob, when I relaunch the new MFA. (laughs) Describe that that feeling, because I've recently gotten to a spot where I'm, I'm I'm training and coaching a group of young podcasters, teenagers, and I'm like, this is a first, and uh, and I'll share more with you a little later, um, probably off mic about that. But describe that feeling when you know you see sort of the lessons that are coming through from your work and the musings and the ideas that come through in your work that you have like this generation of coaches and this generation of folks who are like taking that next stage in their career, combining that intersection of art and and business. Talk about those feelings when you see like, wow, I helped you. Or wow, you're taking the lessons. Oh, it feels so good. So the reason why a lot of coaches trained with me is because it, it came organically. Like I was focused on my own coaching business and then other coaches artist coaches were having trouble getting clients because there's a stereotype that artists can't afford coaching. Coaching is very expensive. My first coach that I hired ever, which was right after I graduated from MICA and and started my first event planning business, she costs, and this is like normal and there's, and coaching costs more than this, but she costs $2,000 a month. And that investment I mean, coach, like I've paid way more for coaching since then. She was my first coach, but like that knowledge helped me make over half a million dollars in my entire coaching business in the past three years. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why I say that is because a bunch of artist coaches came to me and they're like, how the hell did you do that? Because again, they have this problem with trying to sign up artists for coaching because artists somehow, many of them, which is a problem, think that it's okay to invest six figures into an arts degree with no business skills, but don't see the value in hiring a coach for like $30,000 or less. Yeah. And that coach gives you like skills that you need for life and business, right? To make a return on that investment. Like, that that needs to happen more. There needs to be more trust in the coaching industry. Um, and back to your question, like the feeling of spreading that knowledge to other artist coaches is so good, so fulfilling. And it shows them like, if I'm a neurodivergent artist that can make over half a million dollars on my own without advertisements, without a newsletter, without any of that stuff, just literally just organically posting on social media and inviting people to my programs. If I could do it, you can too. If I could do it in my coaching business, you can too, which by the way, I have an idea for you, Rob, as a business coach, I can't help but say this to you on, on your recording, but I think you would make a great um, teacher and mentor in your own um, business in which you teach people how to develop an impactful podcast. 
there's so many artists that need to learn how to run a podcast, how to make impact through a podcast, how to influence, how to sell their services through the podcast. Like you can make a lot of money doing that because your, your own case study is your podcast. That's your first testimonial. That's your first client. See, you're, you're, see, you said it. So for all y'all listening out there, <laughs> no, hire you, Rob, hire no, Rob, because Rob knows what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> but I think you're, I think you're right in it, and I think it's, and, and this is maybe a, a, a question I think is really interesting. How, because I, because I run into it. How do you, you know, kind of change sort of the the hearts and minds with, you know, the work that you're doing, like. So, like you touched on earlier, folks are more inclined to spend a bunch of money on a degree that is kind of leaving out bits of it. Like, you know, I remember when I was in college, there was um, English for science majors. There needs to be like business classes for art majors. You know, there needs to be more of that. And I have a business degree. So and I have the creative background, but the business degree is what I pursued. Talk about sort of that that introductory when you're you're going out initially and like these are potential clients these this is the the sort of work that I'm interested in doing how do you you know get folks to say you know what this makes sense i see the value in this sort of work because it's 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 a pitch you know sometimes it's a pitch so the way that the coaching world works yeah. very traditionally is like this you might find a coach online and if you like their content and you vibe with them and you feel like you fit their ideal client archetype avatar, right? Like, for example, my avatar is now neurodivergent, multi-passionate women just like me. Then what you do is you like like what their content, you engage with them, and then you reach out to them and say, hey, I'm interested in your services. But I find that not a lot of artists do that. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of the coaches that I've trained and what I've seen happening a lot in my own business is that I actually directly do, I do direct outreach to people that I think would be good for my coaching programs. So I actually invited a lot of my clients into my programs and it just always worked out that way. And what I wish would happen is I wish we would go to school and then they would tell us like, by the way, these are your options. If you want to keep learning more, you can hire a coach. You can hire consultants. You can start a business. That never, that conversation never happened. I remember at Micah on the last day, they made us go to the auditorium and they gave us a uh, presentation on like what to do after school. And they're like, only 2% of artists like make it full time. Good luck. Here's a package. In your package, uh, you have papers that tell you how much you owe and how to pay it off in the next, I don't know how many years. And even though I got a full ride for undergrad at Micah, I ended up taking out a lot of loans because I had a single mom and I didn't have the money to just move to Baltimore and go to school full time. So I took out a lot of loans um, and I'm still paying off (laughs) those loans. Um, But yeah, there needs to be more conversations about how to think like an entrepreneur versus thinking like an artist. And that's why my coaching program is called Artist to Artpreneur. The way I describe it is this. It's 80% life coaching, 20% business strategy. Why? Because many of our business problems, especially as artists, are Mm -hmm. life problems in disguise. So if you bring emotional intelligence to it and you're running your own business, you need emotional intelligence to run that shit because business is hard. Yes. 
You're not on a schedule. You're not reporting to anyone. You need to be emotionally intelligent enough and motivated enough to get shit done so that you can hit your sales goals, right? And you can pay all your bills and some. Yeah. Right? And have profit to enjoy and keep and invest. Um, Yeah. There just needs to be more conversation about what else is out there besides going through, like, the gatekeepers that have access to jobs like right now we we have the internet at our fingertips there's so much you can learn online why aren't we talking about entrepreneurship in the arts why is it that we're told like go to school get your master's become a teacher or work at a museum or gallery or be a full-time artist represented by a gallery you know that sells your work like why aren't we taught how to become our own gallerists and and that's that's one of the things like I, I've been kind of in this spot of thinking through how do I want to go about what I'm doing and recognizing like I have a job I, and I have this is sort of my creative outlet and I get a lot of joy from it and having those lines, you know, separated. But it's more of a dotted line because I've been a podcaster as long as I've been a data analyst. So those mm-hmm. things and it, it kind of change how I think I use the creative stuff to build out reports. I use the uh, analytics to look at my data and and put together a press kit to say, these are numbers. But I think a lot of times it's almost like when you're in that traditional office environment and it's frowned upon to talk about how much money you're making or to want more money, right? And I think the thing that's really interesting, that's we're all capitalists in that regard. If you're here working for a job, you want to be paid on time, right? So when you take it to like the sort of like arts community, it's like, oh, people will make art. That's fine. You don't have to pay them. No, you do. You do. You got to pay them well. You got to pay them in a, in a fair way and whatever they say is what it is. And But I think having more conversations from where you're, you're, you're kind of touching on, having more conversations around this is really important because it's like, it's a dirty little secret to talk about it almost. It is. And I want to talk more about mental health. Please. As artists, because... When I recently claimed my neurodivergent identity, it was because um, I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder too. And the reason why I want to talk about mental health and bipolar disorder is because not only do we lack business skills after we graduate from art school, we also have a mental health crisis amongst artists because they don't have the emotional intelligence skills to run a business they don't have the practical marketing skills to run a business and they don't have the skills to manage their mental health. When we know that artists suffer from more mental health issues, because first off, we're more highly sensitive. Mm -hmm. We're more likely to be neurodivergent, whether that's bipolar, ADHD, schizophrenic, um, ADD, uh, highly sensitive people, you know, things like that. Right. We have a mental health crisis. Like, think about how an artist feels after they graduate from school. They have no one to turn to. You know, the alumni office didn't do much for me after I graduated, even though I was Micah's Latina poster child. I haven't heard from him since. <laughs> Micah, thank you. But Viva <laughs> Micah? I, I don't know. I... <laughs> but um, yeah, like. So that's why I have this thing called, so I have my artist entrepreneur program, which I told you about. It's like a umbrella program with like different programs to help 
artists become entrepreneurs through business and life coaching. But I have another program that's separate called the Mental Wealth Network. And that's when you and I first connected because you reached out to me interested in that work. And basically what the Mental Wealth Network is, is it's a membership for neurodivergent, multi-passionate women artists in which I mentor them. Not so much coaching, but more like a mentoring role on how to manage our mental health so that we have, we get to what's called baseline. Do you know what baseline is? No, please. It's like when your nervous system is like good and you're not hyper aroused, you're hypo aroused, you're not frozen in a trauma Mm -hmm. response, depressed, or you're not hypomanic, right? We need to be at baseline so that we can make better decisions in our love lives, in our Mm -hmm. businesses, in our friendships, in our relationships with family, with friends, lovers, all that. Like we need to be centered. We need to be, you know, not stressed. (laughs) We need to be at peace. And that's why I deliver monthly mental health workshops. Like right now, my next workshop coming up August 17th is called Unmasking Your Marketing so that we can unmask our neurotypical ways like we we act neurotypical in order to navigate a neurotypical world that is capitalist and white and neurotypical right right and we we need to be at peace with our true selves right so i help these artists like get to baseline be their true selves manage their emotions and just run their businesses more in a more present mindful way. And I feel like with the membership at the Mental Health Network and then my business coaching programs, I feel like the two complement each other so much to actually help an artist thrive rather than survive. And I think a lot of artists are just so used to surviving and like getting paid very little and just like being stressed out and just, you know, doing the most to to get by, but we deserve to thrive. So I want to ask you now, like, what does it look like for you to thrive as an artist? Um, to to you know, it's, it's always sort of aligned with you know freedom and in and, and finances. And I'll say with the finances side, because that's like the low hanging fruit, just a fully funded project and what have you. And this is not that at this point. And in terms of the freedom component of it, not feeling like you know, feeling like what I think is good is the thing. So I felt like I was touching on earlier um, that I be, I think before we got started that I want to do some work in Detroit. I, you know, my sort of thinking, my curatorial eye, how I approach my work, it should be like, that's fine. It shouldn't be any sort of second guessing when I'm talking to a potential funder or a potential partner. It's just like, we know the track record. We see the work that's there. Those are the, the sort of two things. And I'll throw this out there that, that's, that appends to it. Folks will say, damn, you got a lot of stuff done. Yeah, a lot of interviews done. So yeah, you should see me with the team. Most of this is just me. Yeah. Yeah. And and you 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 gotta be like in a good mental headspace to do that, right? And to do things out of love and not out of fear or spite or revenge. Those are good motivators. Those are really yeah. good motivators. And 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 here's here's the thing I think that 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 fits. I asked this question, um, I think either, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dating this, but it was this week, let's just put it that way, because I've been thinking through this, like, 
I'm doing these interviews and this is the way that I meet a lot of people because we exchanged a few emails beforehand and a few texts, I mean, a few DMs, what have you, but this is the first time we're meeting. And I think it's sort of this almost podcasting blind date sort of thing that's there. And I find like there are some people you connect with in a very dope way. Like you like the same movies I like, you like the same like stuff I'm into. Great. We should be boys. We should be friends or whatever. And then I find there, there's a lot of, you know, sort of like things that feel short that it's like, Oh, I thought this was cool. And we, we, neither one of us will tell each other like, nah, I just think it was the podcast. We're good. Or I don't see us being friends or whatever. We, we don't have those sort of conversations um, with people. I go into it thinking, Hey, we, we just did this together. You know, this is my project and it's, I, I invited you to collaborate on it to basically talk about your thing. You know what I mean? And some folks see it purely as a transaction I see it differently. I, I see it as an exchange. It's community building. Yeah. Like I know after this recording, you and I are going to remain yeah. friends and colleagues forever. Right. Like <laughs> I'll supporting you and like promoting your podcast. And, and if you need help on developing the course, like let me know, we can meet on Google me, but yeah, we need to, we need to have better support systems after art school we need family. We need people to give us feedback, honest feedback with consent. Um, we need, we need people to like express our ideas too. Um, and we need to do those things beyond Instagram and mm -hmm. Facebook and social media in general. Like this is why I have a membership because a membership is not just about delivering mental health workshops for my fellow neurodivergent multi-passionate women artists. Hey, hey. But <laughs> it's it's a community. Like they they're friends with each other now. Like they're in a Facebook group and interacting with each other and supporting each other every day. Yeah. That's what I want to see more of. And you know, back to mental health. Like a lot of artists also have a hard time identifying who's a healthy relationship in their circle after school. Mm. Right? It's true. Because we end up we end up repeating cycles from our childhood trauma. So like there's been some people that I bonded with in the arts that ended up being completely toxic for me. And I didn't realize it till it's too late. Yeah. You know, because I was secretly attracted to my nervous system was secretly attracted to like the, the chemicals and the trauma bonding and the, the abuse and the, manipulation and i'm like oh right it's exactly what i coach my clients on i tell them what is familiar is familial mm. so as artists we need to be more emotionally intelligent and self-aware yeah. about the relationships that we sustain and why we sustain them and what is a healthy relationship versus what is not a healthy relationship right like these are things that we don't learn in art school and I'm not saying that art school should be everything for everyone. It's just, man, like we need like one course on how to navigate these things that yeah. affect so much. Yeah. Um, and, and I've even thought, and I, and I got two like follow-up questions and like one real major question before we yeah. get to the rapid fire ones. But, you know, I, I think through like curriculums, what have you, just generally through, you know, things that you learn over over time, right? I was just like, Yo, we have, you know, sort of, um, 
di- just different things that are going around, um, different epidemics. We have the mental health thing. We have the um, uh, obesity epidemic, all of these things. And then they're not being touched on. And I was like, can we go back to high school? You know what I mean? Where you would get like your sex ed class and everyone's snickering because everyone's a teenager and um, goofy. I remember that's what my class was. I'm like, why wasn't there like a class in nutrition? You know, something like that, that pops back up. And that definitely has the connection to sort of like the, the, some, some, some mental health stuff where, you know, I know for me, if I have like a crappy day, I'm immediately going for a comfort food, like a crappy day as far as I'm not worthy, I'm this, I'm that. But generally, my relationship with food is really weird. You will not catch me eating at like a gallery opening. It's like, now nah, I'm put that down, bro. I'm a drink. I'm going to be drinking. Uh, but, you know, food, no, no. All I see is truth in this artist drinking at every one of these <laughs> these openings. Wait, so tell me, you're not into like Cheez-Its and goldfish crackers and cheap wine? <laughs> Look, I love Cheez-Its, white cheddar specifically, because I enjoy light-skinned snacks. That is a, an account I have. That is an account on Instagram called Light-Skinned Snacks. It's like that, mimosa, the light Orioles, all of those are light-skinned snacks. <laughs> if you ever find it, no, that's me. Um, so you like the golden Oreos? <laughs> yes, because I'm bougie that way. I have it with a mimosa. It's great. It's, it's great. Um, but, but, I, but I think... In it, you know, you like what you're what you're touching on, what you're keying in on, um, and, and and thank you for for sharing so much of this with us. Is just resources that are part of making a fully well-rounded person. I, I know with going back to Instagram or going back to the social media component, we we look for that at times. Or even being transparent here, I look at the number of downloads, you know, and I attach my worth as a creator, my spot as a creator in that lane based on, oh, well, this didn't get as many downloads as I would have hoped, or this post didn't get many likes. So I guess I'm done. I guess that's a wrap for me as a creative and as an artist. And a lot of folks, at least in my opinion, um, don't have that scarification, that resiliency, that scar tissue that banked away. They say, no, well, I'm just going to keep doing it. You know, I'm going to keep doing my thing. It's just like, I'm going to shift to something else. I, I know a few people who are doing one discipline and because they feel like they're not getting the response, it's not a lack of interest. It's not that it's hard. It's still challenging and interesting to them, but they're not getting the response, that external stimuli to say, you know, you're doing good and not getting that gratification that they switch mediums to something else that they're not really interested in. Yeah. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. And, and this is, this is what I also tell my coaching clients, like when they're worried about what I call vanity metrics, like mm. how many followers they have, how many likes they have. I tell them, yo, I made over half a million dollars with less than I started my coaching business with less than 2000 followers. Those 2000 followers were just people that I've known in the art world for like 20 years. Um, you don't need that many followers. You don't need that many likes to build a multi six figure business. Also think about this. Like let's look at the vanity metrics for like IG stories. I love IG stories. Let me tell y'all whoever's listening to this podcast. If you want to follow me, go into my IG stories. Cause I, I'd, I'd rather post there than the grid. Um, <laughs> I update that thing every day. And sometimes I might have low, a low view count, but you know what I tell myself? I say, well, if 50 something people viewed that story today, that means that I could have been in an, in an, in a theater or in a, on a stage speaking to 50 something people. Yeah. Switch your mindset 
visual, use your visual thinking skills as an artist to visualize a different perspective after honoring your feelings. Like, don't dismiss the feelings like, oh, that's, that made me feel shitty. Not many people are looking at it. Like, honor it. Let that feeling go through your body because it takes 90 seconds for a feeling to be fully felt and leave the body. And then move on and change your perspective. Like, Rob, like, how many followers do you have? Like 5,800 or something. Yeah, that's 5,000, almost 6,000 people in a room with you. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> Yeah. And, and that's, and that's sort of the thing where, and I, and I think this goes to sort of that, you know, navigating and working with businesses when folks start touting numbers to me, I throw it, I throw it out there. It's like, keep in mind, I'm, I do data analysis as a you know profession. That is my livelihood. So when folks start getting to like, well, what are your numbers? I was like, do you really want to know that? Or do you want the lie that most people tell you? Yeah. I was like, do you see the value and the impact potentially here? And that's what I shifted to. I was like, I have the numbers if you want them since, you know, those vanity metrics, right? Because it doesn't really tell you like every, like, you know, for my thing, you know, doing the sort of podcast data, those numbers have all types of asterisks around it. A listen counts as listening for 20 seconds. That doesn't mean that they're getting the message. Mm -hmm. So when people say, oh, well, 10,000, you know, per month, per episode, it's like, not a, an independent podcaster is not getting that. And, yeah. you know, I, I know that and I talk to folks about it. But at the same time, if I can talk to people who are very respected in the respective disciplines, you know, from a journalistic standpoint, they're like, you're crushing it, bro. Mm -hmm. And they, they get it. And it's just like, oh, that actually matters to me a little bit more. The anecdotal stuff matters to me more than the sort of, oh, OK, it was one. Now it's two. That's great. I'm 50 percent better. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> Just remember, Rob, that you have almost 6,000 people opting in yes. to your, what I would call like lead magnet in the coaching world. Like you can see your IG as like a funnel, yeah. right? Your content is the lead magnet or your podcast or whatever is the lead magnet. And anyone who follows means that they're opting in because they're interested, which means that they might be potential customers in the near future or far future. That's great. That's great. That's a, that's a really strong point that I make. Um, so I got no excuse for you to not make six figures with your next course and coaching programs. Cause you can email, you can DM every, you can hire an assistant, mm -hmm. right. On like up, up task or whatever yeah. you can, you can, what's it called? The website. I think we have upstart and task rabbit task rabbit. Let's use task rabbit. For example, you can hire someone for like one job administrative yes. job really cheap and say, Hey, I need you to send a DM to every single one of my followers. And they will. Okay. And then just hire that. them to like follow up, like give you the statistics, give you the data and say this many people out of 6,000 replied, this many people did not reply. And you can literally just sell anything you want. You have the audience. Yeah. You have the platform. DMs coming soon, listeners. Just so y'all know. <laughs> this is me doing business coaching. Okay, so my business coaching style is very much like, okay, I'll meet you where you're at. Yeah. And let me give you the simplest strategies. Simple, simple. Just DM people. That's the easiest way to make money. It's like, that's how I've sold most of my coaching programs, like I said earlier. Yeah. Um, and it works. But now I'm about to hire um, this friend of mine who's a marketing consultant. He's going to help me implement systems. It's it's time. Like I've been in business for six years. Yeah. Now I need. Now it's time for me to take it seriously and like 
implement systems, have a convert kit, have a lead magnet, like have a serious newsletter and blog that I can repeatedly use because, you know, doing things like direct outreach for that long on social media organically and yeah. crossing your fingers that it works, doing that for too long can mess up your nervous system as well. Eventually you need systems to do it yeah. for you. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, the thing that I apply in a day job, like, you know, we're understaffed, you know, as every place is do more with less. Right. And I was like, I'm going to turn this into a can't report and this is into a job and this is into a function and so on. And I'll put it this way. I was a very early adopter of using AI within the office. And I was just like, it's a good copywriter use it for these purposes because all of the students I'm sure are using it for their term papers and, you know, things of the sort. And, People look at me like I'm bugging and I'm like, look, this is the only way this stuff gets done. And kind of knowing that it's going to take time to build that out and to think through like, how does this work and does it apply and how can it apply? And how can we leverage that sort of thinking for other things? And I think everything has the ability to be a system, you know, whether it's, you know, you putting together some semblance of a newsletter, I think it's a lot of different things that folks can do to leverage lack of resources to turn that into, well, it's not a lot of me. It's, not, it's just me. I can figure this out. I have the time to experiment and make it happen. Yeah. You know, this is where multi-passionate, the identity of being multi-passionate comes very, comes in handy. Comes, what am I trying to say? <laughs> Comes in handy, yeah. Yeah, it comes in handy. Um, you know, you're an artist, but you have like this background in data and systems. Use all of it. Like, yeah. you know, I hope that this episode inspires the shit out of your listeners to just start a business right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would I would hope so too, because like, you know, I think in, in and I kind of juggle with it of not having, you know, be kind of being around some sometimes the wrong folks. And, you know, they get in your ear and they cookie cutter it. And it's just like, yeah, you know, but it, and they're not meeting you where you're at. And I think that's what turns off a lot of creatives. It's like, you know, as I touched on earlier, I have a job. This is, you know, something that I'm doing in addition to it, but I have a job. And folks, as soon as they mention scale, I turn into a gremlin. I'm like, I don't want to hear scale. I'm a raisin person now. But if it's like, here's some functional things that you can do and kind of the approach that I'm getting off of you of like, well, this is where you are. This is this is where you are. This is something that you could do, and this is how you can easily get in and do it. I think that's a very receptive way of kind of connecting with folks. Um, I had an interview with someone a little while ago, and we both joked about that term scale. It's like oh, it's just too many white dudes talking about scaling. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's real. It's real. It, it loses its meaning. It's like, well, what does scale actually mean? Like, get more specific about your your goals. Like. Right now, like in my rebrand, like, yes, I'm scaling, but like my goal is to um, hit multi seven figures. Yeah. I want to be a multimillionaire. When, when folks hit me with, hey, bro, you know, you got to 10x this. I was like, you're just saying online talk at this point. <laughs> you took that from Grant Cardone, man. <laughs> Grant Cardone, who I think is like a Scientologist, too. <laughs> Like I, I audibly rolled my eyes there. Um. <laughs> I mean, he's doing really well, you know, no, like, I don't like, I admire him in some ways, but yeah, yeah. we don't, we don't need to 10 X everything, you know? So this is making me remember like the advice I give to my clients, like do it your way. Mm -hmm. Like 
you don't have to grow as fast as other people are growing online. They have privileges that you don't have. They have less money problems, money mindset problems than you have. Like I came from a single parent household and we got by. But there were a lot of money problems. And I'm still, to this day, even though I'm a successful life and business coach, I'm still dealing with the money traumas yeah. and the childhood traumas that come with that, right? Like, we have to honor our pace, honor our neurodivergence, honor our way of doing business, making sure that our way of doing business is completely in alignment with our values, because yeah. you don't want to just 10x a business for the sake of 10xing it. Like, what if you 10x it and then you don't like it and you don't want to run it anymore? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I Look, I mean, here's the thing. You know, using this sort of format, you've answered each one of the questions. When As soon as you're like, well, here's that piece of advice. I was like, that was, that was the last question I had. I was like, that's great. Um, and, you know, you're 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 100% spot on with that. And, um, yeah. You know, I just want to say before we get into these rapid fire questions where I piss away all the goodwill I have, <laughs> I, I want to say say thank you for 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 this. This has been um this has been really good. So I got a few rapid fire questions for you. Cute. And as I tell everyone, do not overthink them. They're okay. goofy questions. I'm as, as a chronic overthinker. I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? It's like, look, I asked you what your favorite movie was. I don't even tell you, bro. <laughs> oh, do you want to know how I like my eggs? You know what? I might ask you that. Uh, here's the first one. Here's the first one. What is the last book you read? Oh, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Let me look in my room. Hold on one second. Yeah. What did I read? Uh, right now I'm reading What Happened to You by Bruce D. Perry and Oprah Winfrey. Um, the next book on my list is a book by my writing coach, The Raven Dreams. Um, I, I want to read it uh, for pleasure and for research because I'm planning on writing my first fiction novel in the next Let's few go. years. <laughs> Let's go. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be in contact. I might have some, uh, some connections for you. Uh, okay. Next up, we have um, um, outside of like, you know, coaching outside of you know, some of the, the other items that you've mentioned during this conversation, what is your favorite creative hobby? You, you just do it for joy. You just do it to mess around. Painting. Um, painting really? Yeah. This like is it. my painting right here. I was wondering, that's, that's really tight. I like it. I like it a lot. I like the colors. I, I like it. I'm here for it. It's, it's very uh, Latinx in the hair. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, how would you describe this? This is okay. Let's say in what is the first word that comes to mind when you're thinking about your work overall? What is that first word that comes to mind? Oh my God. I don't know why this word is coming up, but value. Mm. I think what I do is extremely valuable to everyone that I've coached. It's great. Yeah. And lastly, um, I, I, I've been looking for one cause I like to, I like to throw these out there. I think people definitely get value from, you know, using that word, right? People get value from things that stick out. So what is a, a quote or a mantra that kind of guides your work? Just something that's stuck with you. Oh, the, the quote I mentioned before, um, which leads my 
the way I approach coaching is our business problems are life problems in disguise. So whenever I'm having a business problem, I'm like, what's the life problem at the root of this? Like, what's the mindset problem? What's the trauma that's like, you know, triggering this? Um, and then the way, and then I, I share that with my clients because whenever they say, oh, I'm having this problem with marketing and I can't get this sale and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, well, tell me, how do you feel about that right now? Where does this come from? Like, where, what, what experience did you have that's affecting this mindset right now? Yeah. And usually it goes back to almost everything goes back to trauma and mm-hmm. adversity for those who like to switch the like not everyone goes through trauma all the time. Like sometimes what we experience is actual adversity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, just, Ask yourself that next time you have a business problem, ask yourself what's the life problem underneath this. That's really that's really good. Um, you know, I I think that that echoes the sort of sentiment that me and my partner play with when it's like, you know, I'm running into something. It's almost like the whole Mercury retrograde thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, yeah, you're gonna return to your square. You haven't really resolved that. Like, you know, she wasn't a great like math student for sake of argument and she wanted to pursue an advanced degree and math kept coming up she's like oh i didn't really resolve that and do i want to get into this financial situation and taking in loans and all of this to advance my career but i'm not sure yeah i'm not sure and it's like really reasoning through that and thinking through it whereas with me like I think of certain things that I'm doing, like I'm definitely a person that works a lot and I'll put a lot of time in it. And I know that that's tied to just, uh, you're not really talented. You don't have anything to say and so on and so forth. And it's this desire for me to chronically disprove that. And that's a good motivator and a good driver. But also I think having that recognition of that's what's behind it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I just feel like everyone needs to know this. Like everyone needs to know Emotional intelligence 101. Mm-hmm. Self-care 101. You know, just the shit that they don't teach us in art school. You know, that should be the title of this podcast. The shit <laughs> that they don't teach you in art school. I love it. And that's and that's where we'll wrap on the 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 crux of the conversation. And I want to one, thank you for coming on to this podcast and spending some time with me. And and two, I want to invite and encourage you to share with the listeners anything in the final moment, social media, website, all that good stuff. The floor is yours. Oh, the floor is mine. All right. Well, if you want to make multiple six figures without sacrificing your motherfucking mental health, right? (laughs) And you're neurodivergent as fuck and you're multi-passionate as fuck. I'm the coach for you. Please follow me at Michelle I. Gomez on Instagram. That's where everything happens. Um, You can also add me on Facebook, Michelle Yvette Gomez, I-V-E-T-T-E is my middle name. Um, My coaching website is currently going through a rebrand. So I don't have a website at the moment, but follow my IG and look out for content coming up soon. That's all focused on raccoons um, because raccoons are my jam. And Raccoons are the mascot for my coaching community. We have a lot to learn from raccoons. Um, so if you see a lot of raccoon content, just know that the website is coming up soon. Um, and if you want to see my art, yeah, just follow me on IG as well. Follow me on IG for everything. I'm a multi-passionate person. You'll hear about it all on there. 
Well, there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Michelle I. Gomez for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture, and community in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it. <laughs>